Yes, Jesus Christ is alive. He rose from the dead, and that day, that Easter Sunday morning, that first Easter, when Mary and Mary Magdalene and Salome went to the grave expecting to anoint a dead body, they saw the angel sitting there. And they said, where is Jesus? The angel said, he is not here, he is risen. I submit to you tonight that that's the greatest news the world has ever heard. He is not here. He has conquered the grave. He's alive. Happy Easter, everybody. For those of you who may not know, that's Billy Graham. You didn't think you'd see him here this morning. Billy's going to be with us three times this morning to help us celebrate Easter. You know, Easter has never been more relevant than it is today. And the reason is Easter meets our deepest needs, and it also answers our most profound questions. For example, Easter answers the question, am I going to be okay? Is my family going to be all right? Lord, do you see what's going on? Do you care about what's going on? Easter has never been more relevant. You know, two of the emotions that seem to uh, be widespread in our world today are anger and anxiety. Have you noticed that? People are ticked off, right? People are mad at everybody. They're mad we have to come to church with a shirt that's scratching our neck. Our pants are a little too tight. We're angry with corporations and politicians. We're angry at Biden and Trump. We're angry. We're angry at everything. We're angry that prices are rising. Are they ever going to come back down? People are angry. You know, that group of Christ followers in the first century were pretty angry too. When Jesus was crucified on that first Good Friday, they wondered if they threw away the last three years of their life. They invested everything in following him. They were angry that maybe their jobs weren't going to be there when they returned home. They were angry that maybe relationships were destroyed. They were angry that Jesus made all these promises and now he's not going to fulfill them. Yeah, there's anger in our world today. And that anger was real back in the first century too. How about fear? A lot of fear in our world today, right? Fear prices will never go back down. Fear COVID will ramp up again. Fear will live with masks forever. Fear that maybe the situation will get worse and worse rather than somehow getting better or even stabilizing. There was a lot of fear in the first century too. They were fearing for their lives. After all, the authorities didn't mind killing their leader. Do you think they would have thought less about killing them? It wouldn't have been a consideration at all. They feared that they squandered not just the last couple of years, they squandered their entire lives. They were living with anger and fear, just like us. If there are two characteristics of our world, it seems like it would be anger and fear. Well, this morning, we're going to try to show how Easter addresses those greatest needs, our deepest problems, and we're going to do that by asking and answering three questions. What, who, and why? And if we could somehow get the answers to those questions, I think you're going to see Easter has never been more relevant than it is now. You see, on that Good Friday, their hopes and dreams, their aspirations, their goals, everything they have been living for was taken away when Jesus was crucified. 
Fears were mounting. Anger was soaring. But then something happened. You notice that? What happened? Here's what happened. We sing it like this. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. And out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me or on you. That changed everything. That's what happened. Now, John's gospel tells us this in chapter 20. You can read it later today. But let me just kind of walk you through it at a real high level. Mary goes early in the morning, that first Easter, to the tomb. She does not go to welcome the resurrected Jesus. She thought he was still dead. She went to give him a permanent burial that was worthy of respect. She goes there and the tomb's empty, though. She doesn't think Jesus rose from the dead. She thinks somebody stole the body. So she races back to the other disciples and she says, somebody took the body, the stones rolled away, and he's not there. Peter and John take off for the tomb. And for some reason, I can't believe Peter loses the race, but John gets to the tomb first. He goes in, Peter comes, he rushes into the tomb. They don't believe he was raised from the dead. They go back to get the other disciples. Mary lingers. And she's the first one that sees Jesus alive. Jesus says, uh, Mary. And she immediately grabs onto him. She's thinking, you're not going to get away from me this time. And she said, Mary, you don't have to cling to me. You don't understand. I haven't ascended yet. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to send my spirit. He's going to be on the inside. It's all going to be okay. But the disciples hadn't seen yet. Later that night, that first Easter evening, the disciples are together and Jesus shows up. They're scared to death. The room's locked and Jesus just appears. And he shows them his wounds. Same body, same Jesus. And he says, I'm alive. And they believe. There was one problem. Thomas wasn't there. The disciples say, Thomas, you don't understand. Jesus is alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys can believe that nonsense. He's not alive. I saw him die. He said, no, Thomas, he really is. And Thomas said, unless I put my finger in the nail prints in his hand and put my fist in his side where the spear went, I'm not believing. One week later, they're gathered again. Thomas is with them. Jesus appears again. My paraphrase. Come on, big guy. Put your fingers right here. Put your fists right here. It's me, and I'm alive. Now, you ever wonder why Thomas is in the Bible? You know, I often wondered that. If you think about it, was Thomas in there and that account in there just to make us feel like we're glad we're not him? Think of it this way. He traveled with Jesus for three years. He heard the sermons. He saw the miracles. He understood the parables. And he didn't believe. But that makes sense. We often have questions and we don't believe, right? But did you notice? In the midst of his doubt, in the midst of his question, Jesus comes toward him. And in my mind's eye, in that, on that second week when Jesus appears with Thomas and the disciples, in my mind, you have the ten disciples over here and Thomas over here not believing. Which of the two groups does Jesus go toward? He goes right to Thomas. 
You say, I know you have questions, Thomas. I know you have doubts. I'm not laughing at your doubts. I'm not afraid of your doubts. I'm coming to you in your doubts. Yeah, we live in a world where we have lots of questions and doubts, don't we? Does God care? Does he know what's going on? Jesus isn't afraid of your doubts. Be honest with him. He comes toward you in, his, in your doubts. There's one other thing with Thomas. You ever ask this question? Why does Jesus still have the wounds? Like, he didn't have to, right? Well, he has the wounds to convince, to convince Thomas and the others that it really is him. But he also has the wounds to remind them that their sin is covered, their questions are answered, and even their doubts are all washed away. What happened? He was crucified on a Friday. And on that first Easter morning, the roaring lion declared, the grave has no claim on me or on all who follow him. You know, there's only one question that still remains with that. Do you believe that? Christ is alive! He's a living Savior! And yet many of his followers and Christians live and act as though he's dead. He's not dead. He's alive. And the Bible says that at a given moment, a given signal, he's coming back to this earth to set up his kingdom. And what a kingdom it's going to be. It'll be a world in which there will be no tears and no sorrow and no death. There'll be no suffering. There'll be no war. There'll be no police forces. There'll be no armies. It's going to be a glorious world ruled by one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what happened? Well, Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. Charles and I are teaming up today, and as he said, we're going to answer three questions for you. We're going to answer the questions of what, who, and why. The amazing thing about what Charles just talked about with the what is that it gives us the answer to the who. The amazing thing about the tomb being empty is it tells us a little bit about who Jesus is. But before we answer the question of the who, I just want to welcome and say good morning to all the kids in the room today. We're so excited that you're here today. If you're a kid and you got one of the bags from our Calvary Kids volunteers, you're going to need to take that out. Don't open up that egg yet. Not yet. I'll tell you when. But I'm really excited that you're here. I'm really excited that we can be here together. And I'm really excited that the kids are in this room because... I need your help. I need your help because I've been pretty busy lately. The past few weeks, I've been pretty busy, and I've fallen behind on some things. And one of the things that I've fallen behind on is I'm in charge of the Velez family Easter egg hunt. My last name is Velez, in case I wasn't doing an Easter egg hunt for someone random. Like, you know, <laughs> like that's my last name. And I have five kids, and they look forward to this Easter egg hunt. But here's the crazy part. My oldest son is almost 21. My youngest is 12. I still have to do that. I was talking to someone last week, and he was telling me, man, I'm in my 30s. My brother and I, we still look forward to the Easter egg hunt because it's competitive. So apparently you don't get to retire from this as a dad. But kids, I need your help because I've got some eggs here. I got some help. They stuffed them in there. And I need you to tell me 
whether these are good things for the Easter egg hunt for my family, okay? So I'm going to open them up. You are going to put up a thumbs up if you like it, a thumbs down if you don't, okay? Thumbs up if you like it. You got it, right? Thumbs up, thumbs down. If you're a grown-up, you can participate as well. <laughs> All right. All right, here we go. Let's see. Oh, Sour Patch Kids. Thumbs up. All right. You're like the only thumbs down, by the way, just so you know. Okay? Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, we got a lot of thumbs up here. Here we go. I like this. Okay, let's get another one. Here we go. What's in this one? I don't know. M&M's Minis. It's like M&M's that's shrunk in the wash. We're good? Thumbs up? Kind of mixed on this. We're not too sure. All right. M&M Minis. We got another one. Let's go. Here we go. Okay. Lima beans. I mean, I know about jelly beans, but lima beans? That's like my crib. That's thumbs up. If you put your thumbs up, that's not okay. Nobody likes lima beans. All right, last one. Okay, on this one, I need the help with the kids. If you have your Easter egg, you're going to take it out. I'm going to count to three, and we're going to open up all our eggs at the same time. Okay, you got your Easter eggs? We're going to open up. I'm going to count to three, and we're going to open it up. Ready? All right, here we go. One, two, three. This is embarrassing. You've got, do you have nothing also? You got nothing? Okay. I'm going to have to talk to the Calvary Kids staff about this. Um, I'm a little confused right now, to be honest with you. I'm a little upset. And I've got some questions, and I'm sure you're the same if you're a kid in this room. Here's the deal. I'm going to tell you up front just so that you know. We did it on purpose. We did it on purpose. But... We've also got a really cool prize for you. If you bring your empty Easter egg over to the Calvary Kids signs right outside this door after the service, we've got an awesome prize for you if you bring your Easter egg, especially if you like ice cream. So make sure you bring it over there. But it's empty. I'm confused. I've got questions. I'm upset. Well, you know what? That must have been how you felt as well. Why? Because normally there's something in the Easter egg. There's, there's Sour Patch Kids or there's M&Ms or maybe there's even lima beans. I don't know, but there's something in there. Why? Because that's just the way things go. Well, I'm sure that when those women and disciples went to the tomb, it says that they were confused, that they were upset, that they had questions. Because it was empty. And usually when you go inside of a tomb, there's going to be something in there. Why? Because that's just the way things go. But the greatest thing that could happen to them, the greatest thing that could happen to you, the greatest thing that could happen to me was that that tomb was empty. And that empty tomb tells us a little bit about who Jesus is. And what we need to know about that is that empty tomb proclaim loudly that Jesus is alive. That Jesus is alive. And if you watch that video before, a lot of times we, 
may believe in Jesus, but we kind of live lives as if Jesus isn't alive. But Jesus is alive. If you look at Luke chapter 24, verse 5 and 6, it talks about the women going to the tomb. And they get there, and there's the angels there. And in their fright, the women bow down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with us in Galilee. He is not here. Why do you look for the living among the dead? You can go to a cemetery. You're not going to find Jesus. You can go to a grave. You're not going to find Jesus. You can go to a tomb. You're not going to find Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus is the living Savior. Who is Jesus? He's the living Savior. When he went onto that cross, he paid the price for you and for me, and he offered us himself as our Savior. And when he walked out of that tomb on the third day alive, eternally victorious, he proclaimed that he was the living Savior. But you can only really understand the beauty of the fact that Jesus is alive if you understand that Jesus was alive. When we read about Jesus in this book, we're not just reading about some character in a story. We're reading about someone who actually existed. Jesus was born. He was put in a manger. He did live a life. It really happened. He did heal the sick. He did feed the poor. That really happened. He really died on a cross. He really was put in a tomb. And on the third day, he really walked out of that tomb alive because he is the living Savior. And because he walked out of that tomb alive, it also tells us a little bit more about him. Not only is he the living Savior, but he's the forever king. Jesus is the living Savior, and he's the forever king. Even death couldn't hold him down. In Acts chapter 2, it says this, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Even death couldn't stand up to Jesus. You know why? Because he's in charge. He's in charge. He's the forever king. And we can find comfort in that. Charles talked a little bit earlier. He says that sometimes there's reasons in our lives for just a little bit of angst, a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of fear. Sometimes when you look around you and you look around, it kind of gets unsettling. But we can find comfort because we're not in charge. Jesus is. He's the forever king. And so no matter what you're going through, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, maybe it's in between. You're not in charge. He is. Find comfort in that. But not only do we find comfort in that, we need to be challenged. Because he's in charge. So what he says goes. Because he's the forever king. You see, Jesus didn't just make a way for us to get to God. He is the way that we get to God. Jesus is the living Savior and the forever King. And all it takes for us to respond, all it takes is that we need to believe. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And so we're left with just one question. Do you believe it?
I can stand here tonight and say to you on the authority of this book, I know my sins are forgiven. I know I'm going to heaven. I know that I'm going to live as long as God lives because the moment I received Christ, I became a partaker of God's own life. Now I'm going to live a billion years and I'll only have begun. I know that, not because of any goodness of my own. I'm not going to heaven because I've lived a good life. I'm not going to heaven because I've preached to great crowds of people. I'm going to heaven because of what Christ did on that cross. For by grace are ye saved, through faith, that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're not going to heaven because we're good. We're not going to heaven because we work. We're not going to heaven because we pay. We're going to heaven because of what he did on the cross, and all I have to do is receive it. It's one thing to know what Jesus rose from the dead. It's another thing to know who, that he's the living Savior, forever King. But it's another thing to know why. What are the implications? What are the entailments? What are the consequences? What does it mean? Well, right there in John 20, Jesus actually gives us a few answers to that. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You know, first thing I want to mention by way of uh, why, Jesus rose from the dead to prove that he is who he said he is because he made and kept promises. You know, we live in a world in which people are making promises or saying they're going to do things all the time, and rarely do they follow through. Just this past week, without lots of details, on April 6th, I was in a meeting with people, and at the end of the meeting, we said, okay, by April 12, I need an re email response from everybody that's in the meeting here. Do you know, on April 13, I was sending emails. I didn't get your response yet, even though everybody agreed to get it to me by April 12. The 12th is after the April 6th, and the 13th is after the 12th. We live in a world where people make promises or make commitments that they don't follow through. Jesus promised. I'm going to be executed, but three days later, I'm going to be alive again. I'm going to be raised from the dead. I lay down my life, and I'm going to take it up again. Promises made, promises kept. Last Saturday, I went to see Tommy and me with some friends, the Ray Didinger play. We were at Bucks County Theater, and it was really good, but, you know, watching a play about Tommy and me, you think of, you know, your old football days and all that. And, you know, I was thinking about promises made, promises kept. But it really didn't happen on the football field. Here's what happened. My uh, former football coach called one day, years after uh, football was over, and he said, Charles, I got this flyer in the mail. I don't believe it's true, but are you speaking at Ocean City Tabernacle? Um, I was not a Christian when I played football. And I said, yeah, that's me. He said, come on, you're kidding, right? He said, I don't believe it. I'm coming. Well, he and his wife came, and they sat right in the front. And every year after that, he never missed. And Al and I kind of reconnected, and we became pretty good friends. In fact, I'd go down about every month, and we'd go to lunch together. We'd kind of hang out. He moved to Ocean City. He lived there. And then Al uh, was diagnosed with cancer, and he began to decline. And uh, one winter, he died. That summer, when I stood on the platform... I was dumbfounded. I looked out to my right, 
and nine former coaches were sitting in a row. I don't think they ever went to church. So I go back, and the first one was Ron Haley. And I said, Ron, what are you guys doing here? Ron said, promise made, promise kept. We promised Al we would come one time to Ocean City Tabernacle. You know, that's child's play compared to keeping a promise that you're going to rise from the dead. But just like Carlos said, the promise doesn't just mean that he's going to rise from the dead. It means that what he claimed about himself is true. When Jesus was alive again, it proves he is the living Savior. He's alive, and that means forgiveness of sins flows from him. He is the forever King. Those are promises. He promised to forgive sins. The living Savior kept the promise, and he continues to keep it. He's the risen Lord, right? He's the forever Lord, the King. He made the promise he kept the promise. We can count on that. You know, it also says in that verse in John chapter 20, three times in the chapter, he says to the disciples, peace be with you. Why do you think he had to say that three times? Because they were having anything but peace, right? They're full of anger. They're full of anxiety. Jesus shows up, peace, guys, peace. We think of peace in two main directions. We think of peace as kind of the absence of war. And we think of peace, the calming of chaos. Jesus brings both, doesn't he? Now, you're probably scratching your head and saying, Charles, you know what's happening in the world today? How in the world can you say that Jesus brings peace when our world's in turmoil? I don't think the people in Ukraine are thinking about... Yeah, but the primary peace that Jesus brings, the first peace that then spills over into the others, is peace with God. Do you realize that the Bible is crystal clear? When we sin... That sin causes separation, alienation, chaos, division, and war between us and God. Jesus comes to bring peace. And the peace that he establishes between us and God then spills over. And we can have peace concerning who we are. Peace with other people. And even peace with the world. And one day... Another promise he made that will be kept as well, he's coming back, and then there will be political peace, and there will be psychological peace, and there will be peace for all of his followers with Jesus, with the Father, forever and ever. You know, sometimes as we read the Bible, you come to church, you go to small group, you know, you interact with people, you're almost led to believe, or you begin to think that, like, our sin is the main event right? You know, we sin all the time. And so, well, it must be the main event. I'm always sinning and I'm always having to confess. And I go and people are talking about sin. Your sin, my sin, it's not the main event. Christ's crucifixion and resurrection is the main event. The main event happened this weekend, the first time we celebrate Easter. The main event is grace. The main event is forgiveness. The main event is peace. Flowing where there was chaos. Peace flowing where there was division and war. And that peace only comes through Jesus and what he accomplished for us. You know, sometimes when you read the Bible, you may be tempted to believe that the main thing about Christianity is all the things Jesus taught. Now listen, that stuff's really important and we need to get in step with that. Jesus was not crucified for what he taught. Jesus was crucified for what he promised and who he said he is. That's why they killed him. Now, there's one other thing I want to mention. 
by way of an oh, answer to the why question. And it's in right up in the middle of that verse. Jesus says, I am sending you. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think it means at least two things. You know, God could have come up with another plan, but God has chosen from the very beginning that the main way his followers will expand and begin to extend this message to others is through witnesses. It's not through DNA testing. It's not through scientific proof. It's through witnesses. And so Jesus is obviously sending these disciples to go and tell people what happened. But he doesn't just tell them to go and say. He says, go and be. The new life that you have in me, the spirit is in you, the forgiveness that's now being exuded, the changed life that you're living, go and be as well as go and tell. And so as we experience the peace, as we live out the promises, go and be that. Be that in your family, be that in your workplace, be that in your school. Be who Jesus wants you to be. And then say who Jesus is and what he accomplished. You know, an easy way to think about that is say what he did, who he is, and why it's important. And if we would do that, we'd actually be part of the fulfillment of that first Easter and the second week when Jesus shows up to his disciples and says, peace be with you. I am sending you with the message on the inside and the message on the outside. Only one last question, I guess. Do you believe this? 